came across a story years ago about a lady by the name of Florence Chadwick. And if you know anything about long-distance swimming, she is a great pioneer uh, in long-distance swimming. In, in 1952, she decided she wanted to be the first woman to swim between the, the, the coast of California to the Catalina Islands, which is about 26 miles. Listen to me. That's 26 miles of swimming. If you're anything like me, I don't want to drive 26 miles, let alone walk 26 miles, let alone swim. But nonetheless, she's a baller, and so she's going to swim across this. And to do that, she needed a team with her, a boat beside her. And this boat beside her were people encouraging her, people telling her how many miles she'd gone. There was also a person on the boat. Their one job was to have a gun loaded and ready to go to shoot any sharks uh, swimming by. Right there, like, I'm out. But nonetheless... (laughs) So she's going through there, and then a heavy fog set in, and she couldn't see to where she was going. She couldn't see the shoreline in which she was heading, and then she kind of let the boat know, like, I, I just don't know if I can keep going. I don't know if I can keep uh, going on, because this heavy fog had set in, and she went a, uh, just a little bit longer, and then finally she called it quits, got into the boat, and then the heavy fog lifted, and she was only one mile from the shore. And it's not, she says she didn't quit because she uh, got tired. She quit because of the heavy fog. She could no longer see her destination. She could no longer see the goal. Today we're continuing our study through the book of Romans. We're actually on the 23rd week of this. If you've missed any of it, you can go back to our website and check it out. Uh, But the cool thing about the book of Romans as Christians, it's been really helping us uh, kind of form our identity in Christ who we are and whose we are. And what happens over time, if not careful, the fog kind of sets into our life and we begin to forget whose we are and who we are and the promises of God and where this is all going. And sometimes that fog has a name that sets into our life and that name is pain. And pain and suffering can sometimes distract us from the prize. So what do we do? Well, if you got a Bible, go to Romans chapter 8. That's where we're going to be today. Romans chapter 8, in my opinion, the greatest chapter of the Bible. If you don't have a Bible uh, here at Grace Point Church, we always say you're going to need a Bible. We lead, teach, and preach from the Bible. And so we have those in English and Spanish up front, and then also at Center Point. Please grab one. If you've got a smartphone, you can download Version app, and it'll be on there as well. But we're going to be in Romans 8, and we're going to learn about pain. And with pain... Uh, we're going to learn something very important, and what, what we're going to learn today is creation has a lot to teach us about pain, but even more so that pain is the path to glory. Pain is the way to the prize, and the prize we're always going to say is Jesus. Now, we, we all can look around and say, hey, life is pretty painful. I, I believe that creation abundantly shows that life is painful. If you look around, we have a lot of natural disasters going on. There's an earthquake here or there. There's a flood, a tsunami. There's droughts. There's all sorts of things going on. We could look at the world around us and see, hey, there's a lot of pain being inflicted upon humanity because of creation. But then we can look at it at a personal level because we are creation as well, and we can see that there's a lot of pain in our own lives. There's loss of loved ones. There's loss of good health. There may be loss of jobs. There may just be relational pain, marriage pain, children pain, some type of pain. And the Bible never shies away from pain in our lives. The Bible never turns a blind eye to a pain. As a matter of fact, the Bible will show us that our pain is not purposeless, but our pain is there for a point and our purpose. And I believe the Bible is trying to teach us during pain to keep going. Don't stop. Don't give up. Why? 
Let me show you. Romans 8, verse 16. We're going to start in last week's text. Uh, by the way, if you missed last week with uh, Pastor Arjuna preaching, go back and listen to that. Am I right? And if two weeks ago you mas- uh, missed Pastor Tim's message, look, do yourself a favor. As soon as you get out of here, before you go get lunch or anything, listen to Pastor Tim's message. Two weeks ago, one of the best messages I've ever heard in a long, long time, right? It was, it was just so good. But uh, last week, the text was Romans 8, 16, and it started off like this. It said, the Spirit, being the Holy Spirit himself, bear witness with our spirit that we are children of God. So if you're in Christ, you are a child of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we, say it again, with him in order that we may also be with him. So what does this mean? If you are in Christ, you are his child, and by default, you will have the inheritance of God, or even better, the inheritance of Christ, meaning you are going to inherit the world. You are going to inherit the universe. We'll be masters of the universe, like He-Man and She-Ra, am I right? That's what he said. Heirs right here, provided that we do what? What does it say in the text? Listen, life is painful. Life is hard. Christians, sometimes as Christians, we think that we always have to put a face on and put a smile on and be like, everything's great. Hi, diddly old neighbor. It's all good and nothing is bad. Listen, Christians, it's okay to suffer. It's okay to show pain. The Bible is going to talk about this week and next week, the idea it's okay to groan. Have you ever like, like uh, verbally groaned before? Like, ah, I'm going to give you a chance right now. In the count of three, I'm not, no, I'm not kidding. This is good for you. In the count of three, I want you to give me your best groan. One, two, and three. Ah. Let's pray and go home. This is great. But there, don't avoid pain. There's crying. There's weeping. There's lamenting. There's sorrow. But we can keep going because Christ is not finished. That's our hope. Now, let's get into our text today. Verse 18. Very important verse. For I consider that the suffering of this present time, like right now, are not worth worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Paul is setting you and I up to suffer, that we are going to suffer and to not quit. And so he's preparing us right here. He says the suffering that we're enduring right now is nothing, nothing compared to what's to happen. This verse, in my opinion, is one of the most important verses of the Christian life. I'm going to say that one more time. This verse is one of the most important verses of the Christian life. It's crucial, Christian, that we believe this verse. It's crucial that we not only believe this verse, but we trust this verse. It's crucial that we not only believe and trust this verse, but we need to be reminded of it daily and moment by moment. Why? Because if we do not we may not make it to the end. Suffering will eat your lunch. Suffering, as a matter of fact, will feel pointless. It'll almost feel like it's cruel. We'll think, why am I suffering all this? And why is all this happening in my life? It will almost feel cruel to us. There's this scene in the Gospels where uh, Jesus was asked by his disciples privately, hey, Jesus, what's it going to look like when you die, resurrect, ascend, and then return. So what does the end going to look like? So let's talk about end times, because now some of you are jazzed about that. What's it going to look like? Well, let me tell you, Matthew 24, verse 3. 
Let me give you some end times reviews right now. The end time index. Verse three, as he said on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him, being Jesus, privately saying, tell us when will these things be and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Meaning the end of that age, of this age we're in right now to begin the new age of new heaven, new earth. Jesus answered them, see that no one leads you astray. You want some end times uh, help? See that no one leads you astray. I think that's a big help right there from Jesus. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. And you will hear of wars and rumors of war. Do we hear of wars and rumors of war right now? For sure, for sure. See that you are not alarmed. I love that. Sometimes, Christians, we are freaking out about the end times. We're like, we're, like, we're worried about it. We're scared about it. We're calendaring it. We're mapping it. We're doing all these things. Like, oh my gosh, Jesus is going to turn. Don't be alarmed, Jesus says. As a matter of fact, take hope in that. This is, if you're in Christ, this is good for us. Do not be alarmed, for this must take place but the end is not yet. For nations will rise against nations and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. Are there famines and earthquakes in various places now? All these are but the beginning of birth pains. Birth pains. Interesting phrase he uses right there. Hang on to that. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death, and you will be hated by all nations for my sake. Don't think that's happened yet. And then many will fall away. Many will not make it to the end. Many will not see it through and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will rise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. Have you seen this, Christian? The love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be? Pain will cloud your vision. Suffering will cause a fog to set into your life and you will forget about the future glory. And that's why Paul says in verse 18, and that's why this is a massively important truth right here. Verse 18, for I consider that the suffering of this present time, what you're going through right now, are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. This is one of the most important verses of the Christian life. That all of the suffering that you are going through, have gone through, and will go through has a point that there's a purpose behind it. If you do not have this mindset, listen, listen. If you do not have this mindset, you will bail on Jesus. You will bail on Christianity. You will bail on what you will leave one another. Your brothers, you, you, will, you will walk away from this. I've seen it time and time again as a pastor. When cancer comes to you, when that loved one dies, when that child gets sick, when that grandson or granddaughter walks away, when you lose that job, when you go under financial ruin, when all the bad things in life happens and you do not remember this verse, you'll say, you know what, God? I've done all these things for you and I followed you all this time and I did all the right things and I did everything prescribed by the Bible, by the preacher. I did all the right things and this is what you give me? You give me cancer? You take away my child, you blow up this marriage, and this is what you give me, I am out of here. That's what we'll do if we do not hold on to this. Because we hate pain. Listen, Christian, listen, listen. This is what our Bibles is teaching us. This is what our Bibles is preparing us. Listen, don't avoid the pain and the suffering. I know we'll do everything to avoid it. That's why we get terrible coping mechanisms. That's why we get so distracted in life. That's why we work ourselves to death. That's why we do all those things to avoid pain. 
No, life is going to be painful. And I would argue, historically, no one has suffered more pain than Christians throughout the hundreds of years. Am I right? Look at Christians who are martyred for their faith. I mean, matter of fact, just look at Peter. Peter was crucified upside down. Look at Paul. Look at Jesus. Completely innocent. And what happened to him? Died on the cross. But take hope. The path of pain leads to the prize. Peter says this in 1 Peter 5, 9. He says, resist him, meaning the devil, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kind of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Other people are suffering as well. You are not suffering alone. You are not an individual in this. Everyone is suffering. And then after you have suffered for a little while, and when we read this verse right here, a little while, we're like, yes, a little while. And in our minds, we're like, a little while means eight seconds and it's over. A little while means for a week or two. I can handle that. A little while means for a month or two. Like, okay. A little while means a season. Like, I don't know. A little while means a year. Wait a minute. But in the original text, a little while, you know what it means? Your whole life now. In the scope of eternity, which eternity lasts. You know how long eternity lasts? Forever. Our life is a little while. And it says you're going to suffer for your life. This is a really cheery message, right? <laughs> but listen, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself, he's not going to send some surrogate, no, he will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you to him be dominion forever and ever. Amen. Listen, that text tells us that you don't suffer alone. That text tells us that we're going to suffer in this life. But that text tells us that God is going to do something with it. Uh, many times in Christianity, people don't like to call themselves Christians because it comes a little bit loaded with a lot of different things. So people will say, I'm a Christ follower. I'm a follower of Jesus. And that's very biblical and very accurate. My question is this. If you are a Christ follower, you're a follower of Jesus, what path did Jesus take? Where did Jesus go in his life? Where was he headed to? Anybody know? Anybody? Where? The cross. Are oh, you want to be a Jesus follower? Then you got to go to the cross. And the cross equals what? And then three days later, what happened to Jesus? Alive, resurrected, glorified. The path of pain leads to the prize, and Jesus walks it before you and with you. Look back at verse 18 again. He says, For I consider that the suffering of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Paul's saying what is to come, the suffering that we face right now, is, is nothing compared to it that we, we need to not only keep an eye and a foot in this life, but we need to keep an eye and a foot to eternity. We've got to have a picture in our mind of the future glory. St. Teresa said this. I thought she was wise in saying it. She says, In light of heaven, the worst suffering on earth will be seen to be no more serious than one night in an inconvenient hotel. <laughs> now, if suffering has no point, and if you view, view suffering with no point, it's the most cruel thing ever. It's mean just to suffer for suffering's sake. But ha, remember back in Romans chapter 5? Remember Romans chapter 5 said suffering does something. What? Well, it's producing something. Remember that? Suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character. Character produces, starts with an H, ends with an ope. Hope. I'm trying to feed you your next line, man. Hope. Like suffering is producing in us character and endurance and hope. 
hope, hope in these promises, hope in this trusting of God. Now, look at the last two words in verse 18. It says that it's to be revealed to us. Some of your translations don't say to us, does it? It says in us. So is it being revealed to us or is it being revealed in us? And the answer is both or yes, it is, it's absolutely both. What we, what we see when the hope of glory was revealed and what we will become in that moment as well is going to blow our minds, what we become in Christ and what we look like. See, now remember, we're not becoming children of God because if you've trusted Christ, you've already been adopted. You are the children of God, but you're going to be that finalized version of the children of God. He has completed you. Paul's saying in this text, what is to come, what we suffer is not even compared. Like you can't even compare it. But here's what we do as humans. We compare our suffering, don't we? When we're suffering, we want to see how other people are suffering and we compare our, our suffering to other people, don't we? Let's just be honest, we do. And when we compare our suffering to other people, guess what happens? We lose. Because here's what happens. If we're suffering and then we go online and we go on our social medias or we go talking to people and we start comparing our suffering to their suffering, if they're doing better than us, then we think we're, we're the worst things in the world, that God has singled us out. Like, why is my marriage a wreck? Why are my kids a wreck? Why are my finances a wreck? Why are all these things bad in my life when I've tried to do the right thing and yet they've been doing all the wrong things and their life is great and my life is ho horrible? And so like, I'm mad at them, I'm upset at life, I'm upset with God or whatever that is. Or you'll compare your suffering to someone else who's not suffering as bad as you. We've all done that before, right? Someone will ask you, hey, how you doing with that? And you're like, well, you know, how can I complain? Because I know other people in the world are way worse than I am, right? You know what we're doing when we do that? We're robbing ourselves of grieving. We're robbing ourselves of being sorrowful. We're robbing ourselves of lamenting. We're not being honest with ourselves where we look at someone and say, life stinks right now. Life is hard right now. Will you weep with me? Will you join me in my groaning? Will you join me in my lamenting and my suffering as well? So we can't compare our suffering with other people. We, we lose. Perhaps we should compare our suffering, like the text says, to what is to come. What will finally be the future of Christ and him glorified and him glorifying us as well. Perhaps we should see our suffering as a part of the process of glorification, meaning our final product, the path that we must walk of pain in order to get to the prize. And the prize has his name and his name is? Okay, let's make sure we're all on the same point with that. Now I know sometimes when we suffer, it does, it does cause us to ask the question, why am I suffering? If God is all powerful, if God is all-loving, then why do we suffer? He must not be all-powerful or he must not be all-loving. Well, the problem is, is that we humans have brought sin into the world, and the sin is broken, and so um, we're not going to be able to fix the problem, but yet he is. We just need to be patient with him because God has a plan, and so we wait. But we're not the only one waiting for Jesus to return. You know who else is waiting for Jesus to return? Creation. The planet as a whole, the animals, the skies, the universe, everything is waiting for Christ's return. Look at verse 19. It says, For the creation waits with eager longing 
for the revealing of the sons of God. Now, in this verse and the verses coming, Paul begins to personify the world, the earth, the creation. He used this term right here that it's waiting, like it's looking forward to the revealing of the sons of God. What does the revealing of the sons of God mean? When Christ returns, he's going to reveal. He says right there, the sons of God. The sons of God means, in that phrase, in that, that text, it means the children of God. Why does he use the word son? Because in that time period, sons were the only one who got the inheritance. And so he's using a legal term right there, but it means sons and daughters both. So he's saying the revealing of the children, the sons and God. What does it mean when he reveals? I want you to think about it like this. When Christ returns, the veil will be lifted off the church. See, right now, theologically speaking, is what a lot of theologians will say, we have what's called the visible church and the invisible church. Have you heard this terminology before? Visible and invisible. The visible church is what we see right now. It's people who claim Christ, people who claim to be Christians, people who do church things and come to Christian stuff and call themselves Christian. But when Christ returns, the veil will be lifted. And those who are the invisible church, meaning the true church, will be revealed. That's what he's talking about right here. And he says creation he uses the word eager. And when you look at the original language, the word eager, you get this idea that creation is like eagerly looking, straining its neck. The word head is right there in the original Greek. It's looking around, waiting for Christ to return, looking to us, seeing when we will be revealed and when we'll be changed. Richard Phillips says it like this. The whole creation is on tiptoe to see the wonderful sight of the sons of God coming into their own. I love that idea. The Bible gives so much imagery of creation, worshiping God and waiting for God to reveal the sons or the daughters or the children of God. The, the, the Bible gives so much language to the, the, the earth celebrating God. You see things throughout the New Testament like the heaven declares the glory of God, the rocks cry out, the rivers clap their hands, the mountains and hills break forth in singing, trees clap their hands, cats jump into lakes, things like that. Just seeing you're still paying attention. <laughs> Hooray! It's cool. They had rocks in their pockets. Anyway, um, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Anyway, um, but the creation is waiting eagerly to, to worship God. Why? Because, when, listen, when we are redeemed, the world is going to be redeemed as well. This planet will be redeemed. The universe will be redeemed. Sometimes we think we die and go to this place called heaven, but when Christ returns, he brings heaven down and we'll have the new heaven and new earth. It will be as one. Now, I want you to be reminded, though, that the, the fall of Adam and Eve, sin, does not only affect humans, it has also affected the planet as well. Look at verse 20. It says, For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him. Now, hold that him. We're going to talk about the hymn in just a minute. Who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. That, that right now creation is in, is in bondage. It's, in, it's enslaved. It's in, imprisoned. And it says the word futility right here. And futility reminds us of the book of Ecclesiastes. Remember that kind of theme of Ecclesiastes? Anybody remember that? Say it out loud if you know the theme of it. Vanity, vanity of vanities, meaningless, pointless. Futility is this idea of like, it's just, it's just if things feel pointless, things feel frustrating, things feel bad. Now, the question in the text is, who did this? It says, in him, in hope. Who is the him? I'll give you three choices. 
Adam, Satan, or God? If you go back to Genesis, Genesis 1 through 3, you see that God created everything, and you see in, in, in then chapter 2 and chapter 3 that humanity, we destroyed it all, and then sin entered the whole picture, and disease and death and all that happens, sin entered the pictures. So is the hymn Adam? And the answer would be no, right? Because Adam and Eve were the ones who wanted to become like God, so they didn't really put, put the world into futility. And you, the next question is, well, is the hymn in this Satan? Is Satan the one that subjected the world into futility? And the answer is no, because he's the one that tempted Adam and Eve and brought this mother down anyway, so it's not him. And so the answer is God. God is the one who put this world into futility, into frustration. Where do I get this from? Well, look at Genesis chapter 3, verse 17 and 18. And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground. Who's talking right there? Who's cursing the ground? Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth to you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. It's like God's making you be like a vegan or something. But this is, this is God's judicial sentence to the, to the creation because of the sin of Adam and Eve. That the, that the, the planet is, um, is broken. Now this shows the seriousness of sin because sometimes we, we read this and we're like, well, that seems like a harsh punishment. It kind of feels like the punishment doesn't fit the crime. It'd be like if you get a speeding ticket and they go haul all your family off and put them in jail and then they set them up for like the guillotine or something like that. Like, ah, this punishment doesn't fit the crime, but it, but it really does. That not only was Adam and Eve rebellious against God, but from that point forward, all of humanity and even creation itself is rebellious against God, rebelling against Him. And so God wanted to frustrate. That's where the word futility comes from, to frustrate us and the planet as well. Why? Because could you imagine if God just let everything be great and your life was just great and you had hope in yourself and hope in the world? What would happen? You'd, you'd experience bliss in heaven on earth and then afterwards would be punishment from God would be hell. And so what God has created is this idea of frustration to where I can't find hope in myself and I can't find hope in the, the world around me so I can only find hope in one place and that would be in him. It's to turn our eyes to him. This is what Paul is trying to push us towards. Even in our pain that we would have hope in him. Hope is a very interesting word, isn't it? Today is football day. And some of you are hoping your team will win. That's not what the word hope means. You're wishing your team would win. I heard Dallas is doing great right now. That's it. I just want to say that. Just reminds us that Jesus hasn't returned. The evil's still on the planet, but nonetheless. That's, that's wishing. Hope is concrete. Hope is definite. Hope is assurance. Now, not, not everyone is uh, like the view of hope. Frederick Nietzsche, the, the guy who said God was dead, he said this one time. He says, in reality, hope is the worst of all evils because it prolongs man's torment. That guy. Jürgen Moltmann said this, and I agree with. He says, living without hope is no longer living. Hell is hopelessness. And it's not for nothing that at the interest of Dante's hell, Dante's Inferno, old book, okay. Not at the interest of Dante's hell, there stands th the words, 
Abandon hope, all you, you who enter. See, hope is everything. Without hope, Christian, we won't make it. We'll hope in ourselves and hope in our circumstances, hope in the world around us, and we will despair because it will not measure up. It'll be wishing that our team wins. And yet he gives us hope. We see Paul in another place in Colossians 1.5. He says, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, that's prize. He goes on in Colossians 1.23 and says, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shipping, shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven. Now, some of us may think, that sounds great, Ty. My hope is laid up in heaven. No, your hope is right now. If I were to invite you over and I said, hey, I got a cold one in the refrigerator, and you can, whatever cold one you like, is in the refrigerator. And I said, enjoy one. It doesn't mean you have to go into my refrigerator and shut the door and have it in there. I'm like, I can only have it in here. No, you bring it out of the refrigerator, right? You enjoy it right now. Our hope may be laid up in heaven, but our Bible says bring it out to right now. You have hope here. Because you have Christ with you. Creation is showing us that we can have hope in him and in nothing else. Verse 22, for we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. There's our childbirth, which Emily was talking about early in the song as well. All pain is leading somewhere. Pain leads to the prize Christian. It's not pointless. Just ask any mother. Um, I've never had a baby myself, but I've, I've heard that it's painful. Um, but most will say the pain was all worth it when they have the baby sitting right there with them. The pain long forgotten. The pain of childbirth doesn't compare with the glory of this new birth. That, that's what that's what creation is teaching us with all the volcanoes and tsunamis and the cancer and tumors and the groaning and screaming. Pain is everywhere, like a mom in labor. But it's all heading somewhere. It's heading to Christ. It's heading to our prize. We've got to keep our eye on the prize. There's this author of this book, and you might want to write this down because I really want you to read this book. I really, really want you to read this book. It's called You Are What You Love by James K.A. Smith. And when you have two initials, you're really smart. James K.A. Smith. It's called You Are What You Love. Phenomenal. Some of you, like, like with our liturgy here, how we organize our Sunday morning, like, I don't understand that. That book will help you understand it because it's forming and reforming our loves. Anyway, he gives this phenomenal illustration. You ever seen a set of vertical blinds? Like you look at a window and you see vertical blinds. You know what vertical blinds are, right? Vertical blinds. I'm making the vertical motion here. When you look at it straight on, all you see is the vertical blinds, right? But if you were to take the vertical blinds and turn them a little bit to about a 45-degree angle, you would just see the vertical blinds. But if you take one step to the right, you would still see the vertical blinds, right? But you would see out the window. You'd see through it. Life is a lot like that as well, Christian. We still see what's in front of us. We can't like, just forget that we have life and relationships and jobs and all that kind of stuff. But we need to figure out in life, how do I take one step to the right and look through the blinds as well? How do I live in the present and yet stay focused on the future of what all Christ is going to do? Because that's how we're going to have hope. That's how we're not going to lose hope. So here's what I've done. Uh, I've got two points, two ideas that kind of help us live in the present and yet take one step to the right and look to eternity to help ground us in that as well so we don't lose hope. Are you ready? I have two. Number one. Imagine Christ's finished work in creation. 
We constantly need to imagine Christ's finished work in creation. As you see creation around you, don't just see it as it is. Have a holy imagination, grounded in the Bible for sure, but a holy imagination and see creation for what it will be. Meaning you're going to have to use your imagination. You still have an imagination, am I right? And you're going to have to use your eyeballs. And so if you're going to use your imagination, you're going to use your eyeballs. Here's what it means for all of us here. It means this. We need to go outside. Randy Alcorn, a guy who wrote a book called Heaven, he says, to get a picture of heaven, which will one day be centered on the new earth, you don't need to look up at the clouds. You simply need to look around you and imagine what all this will be without sin and death and suffering and corruption. You know why we don't get outside, though, often, humans? Because we spend way too much time, if I may, in our homes, in our heads, and on our phones. Am I right? Is that where we spend the bulk of our time? In our heads. We're just always in our head. We're typically always in our home. And I get it. We're like eight feet from the sun out here during June, July, and August. I know it's hot. I get it, man. I'm in the AC as well. And we're in our phones all the time. All the time. Matter of fact, you ever thought about this? This is a freebie. Um, you may have either compulsions to being in your phone too much or you may have an addiction to your phone. You ever considered that? Let's test that theory. Um, if you have an iPhone, I want you to eventually take that out, go to the settings, and, and, and turn on the screen time. And then I want you to, to ask someone, like, hey, can I share my screen time with you sometimes? That way you can see how much I'm on my phone. Some of you are like, oh, I'm not doing that. <laughs> oh, and if you have an Android, pull out your phone and order an iPhone. But we're in our homes, we're in our heads, and we're in our phones a lot. And so we need to get outside. Some of you are like, well, Ty, you don't know me. I'm not outdoorsy. Well, I'm not outdoorsy either, man. I'm the most non-country country person. I grew up on a farm. I don't like to hunt. I don't like to fish. I'm just, I don't like country music. I really, can I just be honest? I don't even like hiking. I think hiking is just tricking people into taking a walk in the woods. You're just walking. Camping's not my thing either. I feel like I'm taunting homeless people like, I got a home, but I'm going to stay outside for a while. Now I know what it's like. Look, the most country thing about me is I married someone in my family. Moving on. Now, my wife, Angie, uh, when she gets out into creation, man, she's just like, she just, she's the glory of God. And it just, it is healing to her soul. And I'm like, God bless her. But I want that as well. I mean, think about it. When you see the skies, I will argue the skies of Las Vegas are the most beautiful skies ever. The sunsets here. Listen, listen, listen. The skies and the sunset are tainted by sin. Imagine what that's going to look like when Christ returns. Imagine getting out of the desert and going to the ocean and not be polluted and the water be warm and nice and the animals in there don't want to eat you. Because right now, like some, who, who in here is a beach people? Like, I love me some beach. Like, yeah. Imagine what it's going to look like glorified. Imagine the mountains. Like, we have some of the most beautiful mountain ranges around here. Like, some of them still have like snow caps on. They're beautiful. Beautiful. Imagine what they're going to look like not tainted. Imagine the shores of El Salvador and all this beauty and splendor not tainted by sin. I drove through South Dakota years ago, and you know what's in South Dakota? Not much. But at one point, there was just, as far as the eye could see, blooming sunflowers. 
It was the most majestic and beautiful thing I've ever seen. And that's tainted by sin. Imagine what that's going to look like. Imagine the songs the birds are going to sing. Imagine what the birds are going to be like. All the pigeons will instantly spontaneously combust and be gone. <laughs> Thanks be to God. Stop pooping everywhere. Yay. Think about a thunderstorm, what it's going to sound like, and the rain, how that's going to feel. And Imagine what food is going to taste like fresh off the vine with no chemicals, no anything in it. Imagine what that's going to be. And flowers, how they're going to smell. Imagine climbing red rock in all of its glory and splendor or going to Colorado and canoeing and kayaking and rafting and all the things you do there. Imagine a warm breeze on your face when it doesn't smell like weed. <laughs> Could you imagine? Some of you are like, there's no weed in heaven? No. Ooh, I hate that smell. It's the worst. Side note, we were in the country one time, and someone ran over a skunk, and my kids were like, Daddy, someone's smoking around here? I'm like, no, it's a skunk. <laughs> it's a true story. I mean, think about it. Like, everything you love about creation now will be perfected. Can you see it? Can you imagine it? Everything you hate about creation now, like allergies, will be gone. It'll be removed. Now, I know when you hear someone start talking about this, you can be like, oh, here we go, tree hippie, tree hugging hippie, and or maybe it's, uh, for some of you, very politically excited. That's my new word. Politically excited. Um, you're like, oh, he's a part of the green agenda. I'm, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. I'm just saying, like, creation is important. Look, I've not, been, I've not always been a person who has cared well for creation. Um, but I will say this. Stop just consuming creation and start contributing to creation. Right? That's a good thing. Like, again, I've not always been good with creation as a young man. I've done a lot of polluting out there. I remember when I first moved to, to Las Vegas from Kentucky, I took my 1966 Ford uh, engine block out into the gully and was washing it out like, you know, Cousin Eddie on the Christmas vacation with a hose and a cigar, you know. Um, not always done well with creation, but we should, we should contribute to creation. We should care about our world around us. That's not hippy-dippy. That's not tree-hugging. That's not a political agenda. That's being a good steward of God's creation. I'll give you two quick reasons why we should care for God's creation. Number one, we are created in the image of God. And God has put us here to be his agents. And to be his agents, we are to care for his creation. So Christians should care for our creation. Number two, we're called to love God with everything we have and to love our neighbor ourselves. How much do we hate our neighbors to come if we just take and consume everything of the planet and leave them nothing? Our children, our grandchildren, great. Now, again, this is not politically motivated. I'm just saying we should be good stewards. Imagine what God's going to do. Imagine what he's going to do with creation. I think that helps us keep an eye focused. Number two, imagine Christ's finished work in you and in others. You know you're not done, right? You are way not done. Verse 19, for creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. What does it mean to be revealed? Uh, it means you and I don't look like, physically look like the children of God yet. We are, but right now we look like normal Nevadans or wherever you are from. We look like ordinary people. We get sick like ordinary people. We do all these things like ordinary people. Now we have different attitudes and different actions and different desires, and we love Jesus. We worship him. Yes, but listen to what Jesus said about you. Matthew 13, 43. He said this about you. Then the righteous, meaning if you're in Christ, that's who you are, then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. We're going to be shiny. 
Now, you're not shining right now. Maybe your gray hair shines a little bit in the lights, but you're, you're not shining. Like right now, some of us, we say, hey, I, I don't feel very shiny. I, I, I got wrinkles. I got acne. I got gray hair. Uh, I'm getting older. I'm aging. Listen, I got my hair cut the other day. Then the lady looked at me and said, would you like me to trim your eyebrows? And I was like, no, I'm old. <laughs> not very shiny. But when Christ returns, we're going to shine. Our bodies will be transformed. We're going to be brand new. We're going to dazzle as Christ in the transfiguration. That's the hope that we have. Christ is not, he's not finished with us. Creation is teaching us this. Our Bibles are showing us, yes, we're going to have pain and there's going to be suffering, but keep going. Christ is with us and Christ is not finished with us. And it's a beautiful outcome that God is going to glorify. God is going to recreate. God is going to make all things new, including us and including creation. Don't let the fog of pain and suffering cloud your vision. Uh, Chadwick, when she was swimming, the fog stopped her. Two months later, she tried it one more time. And once again, in about the same place, the fog set in. But this time, she had a mental image of the shore in her mind's eye. And she pushed herself along. And not only did she swim at that time, but she went back and swam it twice, two, two more times. And for good measures, she became the first woman to swim the English Channel. Not because she could see it visibly, but she could see it mentally. Isn't that something like what, what we're told to live not by sight, but by faith? I think that's what God calls us to. Focus on the goal and prize of Christ and his return and his renewing of all things. And I believe we will suffer well. I want to pray for us. Um, as I do, I'm going to ask you just to, just where you're sitting, close your eyes. And I, I want to read 1 John 3 over us. And then I want to pray for us. And then we're going to baptize, which I'm super excited about that. Receive this word of God, 1 John 3, 1 to 2. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him, beloved. We are God's children now, and what will be has not yet appeared. But, that, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. Father, thank you for this promise. Help us to believe it. Help us to live it. Help us to lean into it. The fog of pain visits all of our lives in, in long seasons and short seasons. Help us take one step to the right and see beyond it. Help us be reminded that you're renewing all things and that heaven and earth will be one. No sin, no death, no sadness, no sorrow. Help us to be reminded even in our own bodies as they begin to fail and age that you will renew us as well. That we will be like Christ in new bodies. I pray for my brother or sister right now that's just really struggling with pain and suffering and trials. Holy Spirit, would you comfort them? Would you empower them? 
Might you even give them a reprieve from the fog? But more than anything, would you give them just an awareness of your presence that you suffer along with them? God, may we be a people looking forward. May we be a people looking for you, Jesus, the prize. Help us do that. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.